Our text this morning is in Isaiah chapter 48. Isaiah chapter 48. Isaiah 48. If you avoid the Old Testament, when you're at home doing your devotionals, you're missing out on a lot. A lot. If you don't read the Old Testament, you're really not going to get the new. Oh, the Holy Spirit can help you, but you've got to know the Old Testament. He'll take what's in the Old Testament, and the Holy Spirit will illuminate you. He'll show you how it all connects, how it all makes sense, and how it's crystal clear God's amazing plan of salvation for you and for me. It's awesome. So, amen. We're in Isaiah chapter 48. I'm reading from my seven-point font Bible. Look at this thing. It's all falling apart. I got this as a gift when we were at the Bible school, and the, the, the class that graduated, we advised, they gave us these. And it, it's falling apart, man. I guess that's good. Amen. Praise God. Isaiah 48, and I'm going to read one verse, and that's going to be our focus. And really the whole chapter is, but I'll read verse 17. And this is what, what God says. This is what the Lord says. That's how I know it's God. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer... The Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. Who teaches you what is best for you. Oh yeah, I'm going to repeat everyone. Who teaches you what is best for you. Who directs you in the way you should go. That's right. Who directs you in the way that you should go. The question is, and I'll ask it only now and we'll move on. Do you really believe what he said? Do you really believe what he said? And I'm not pointing anybody out, but because if I look around the world today and I look at Christianity and the man, the in Ukrainian is an expression, the focusy. And what it means is, it's the silliness that goes on among Christians today. We do not believe that. I'm not saying you don't. But I'm fired up today. I've been fired up. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. As I say, Jesus is coming soon. And man, His bride better get ready. You better get ready. There's no games to play anymore. And that's why I asked you, do you believe this? Because it's going to play right into what I'm saying. You'll, you'll, you'll get the idea in a second. God is saying this to His people. And He's saying, He's reminding them, and He's making reminders over and over again through the prophet Isaiah. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. And He makes four emphatic statements, clear statements. I am the Lord your God. You could just stop it there. Take that to heart, Israelites. Let me go to the next one. Isaiah was probably saying, let me tell you what else God says. I'm the God who teaches you what is best for you. And thirdly, you've got to know this, that I'm the one who directs you in the way that you should go. And so I ask, do you believe that today? Do you believe that today? Is He the Lord your God, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Bob Geruda, of you put your name in there, of my life? Is He the one that you allow to teach you 
I'm getting ahead, but I'm getting a little fired up here. Are you going to let him direct your paths? Because I can tell you that on the basis of anecdotal evidence, most Christians today are not believing God who says these things. They're doing their own thing. Are you doing your own thing? Have you done your own thing? Yes. We don't believe. That's why God's reminding over and over and over again. Listen, it's so much to the point that in chapter 48, earlier on, God is talking again. This is the time of the captivity of God's people. And for those of you who do read the Old Testament, I hope it's most of you, and you know a little bit of Bible history, this is the time of the Babylonian captivity. And Isaiah is speaking here. And that captivity was deserved. Yes, that's a strong word. <gasps> you can't say that today. It's insensitive. It's, oh, it's not kind. It's not nice. That can't possibly be God. It was deserving. Just like the punishment. And we put our kids in times out. They deserve it. they got to think it through and realize they're on a wrong path. And God did this over and over and over again. And God is speaking in the beginning of chapter 48. It's all about the first portion. It's all about Israel's rebellion and about their stubbornness. You know, there's some of you this morning, and I'm not spending, I want you to read it. And you'll be blown away when you start reading what goes on there. And you can read it for yourself. But all that chapter 48, I'm not going to spend time on that right now. But it's like this. It's like we live our lives, and some of you are living your lives, and I've gone through these things where we know what God wants us. We say, God, you're my God. I belong to you. You're my Redeemer. And we know that. And we may have even received that into our heart of hearts. And, we, and, we, and we're, we're born again. But then we go along, and all of a sudden, we start wanting to do things our way, Right? And we just move along, we carry on, we know what God says, but it's over there, it's over there, it's in the back of my mind, I know it's there, and we just keep doing our thing. And then God comes right up alongside of you, and His face is right here, and you just keep walking, and He says, get off that path, you're going to fall off the cliff, you're going to fall off the cliff, get off that path, and He's shouting and shouting, not because He hates you, but He loves you so much. He already died for you. You already belong to Him. God's people belong to Him. And they were in captivity. And God's still bringing hope into the situation. And He's saying, stop, stop, stop. I don't want to hear you. And the word in the Bible for that is stiff-necked. You're so stiff-necked, meaning it's like you're steel rod in your neck and it will not move. And all you do is go like this the whole way like a robot. I'm doing my own thing. And here's the cliff. And God's yelling and yelling, stop. And you just won't do it. You're so stubborn, you're so obstinate, and there's so many of us that are like that. I said, us, because I'm one of them too. God wants us to hear something today. Because you know what? I'm sorry. No, I don't apologize. We, you can, you can sit there and criticize me after somebody hears this sermon. Oh, you're taking that out of contest. You're extrapolating. You're misapplying, whatever. I am not. I'm going to tell you right now. I referenced this at the baptism, if you weren't there, but I don't reference it again because it hasn't left my soul. There are people here, and I don't know who's going to be here this morning, but there are people here, you are captive, man. You are in captivity. And you don't even know what to do. You don't know how to get out, where to go, and and what steps to take. It's because God's been shouting, and you're just stiff-necked. You won't even turn your face toward him, and he's going along all the way. But when you get sort of close to the cliff, God ain't going off the cliff. And if you go, you're going to hit rock bottom, man. And God's still there, and he's waiting. He's saying, 
I'm here. Call out to me, man. I'll lift you out. I'll lift you out. But don't be stiff-necked. Don't be so stubborn like my people in the first 12 verses in chapter 48 of Isaiah. Listen, these spirit-inspired words of Isaiah were an encouragement to the people of Israel. Because they were in captivity, deservedly so. They were suffering affliction during that Babylonian captivity. And it's the same Holy Spirit that speaks to us. And you know what? He gently, but yet powerfully, gently but firmly, He leads the body of Christ through all the the ups and downs and the pitfalls of this worldly system and this world that we live in. He does. And He's calling out to us. And He's reminding us and encouraging us. Listen, I'm bringing this this morning because, you know, school's starting. Like, we're, some people are already in school. Some students are in school. Some have started. Some staff, faculty have gone in. Colleges have started. But in our district, they start on Thursday. They're going to school. And we're going to pray for our kids and students and staff and all those in the school system and at the end of service. But listen, when we're going to go out into that, you need to hear this more than ever before. Maybe you've gone through the summer and you've been stiff-necked. Maybe you're not even a student. You're a parent, and you think you've got it all together because I'm working hard, I'm working 9,000 hours a week, I'm providing for my family, but you're missing out on the most important things, and you know what they are. And you're not leading your family, or you're not modeling what it means to follow Jesus and to seek Him and to, to get in. I don't know who you are. I'm just letting you know that God wants you to hear that. And if that's you, it's not over. And you're captive to whatever it is. You're captive to busyness. You're captive to money. You're captive to any other addiction there might be. But those are all captivities that God is still calling out to you and say, just call out to me. I'm the Lord your God. Don't be so stubborn. Run back to me. If I could ask you a question. And you might be in denial. You're sitting there. Oh, Pastor Bob, just shut up. I'm going to tell you something. How is it all working out for you right now? How is it all working out for you? Is it really that much fun to be tired and weary and spinning in the hamster's wheel over and over and over again and you're so stubborn, you keep going and you're thinking, yeah, I want to get through that wheel and you're in that wheel and you're stuck in there. You're captive. And God wants to pull you out. It might be some sin that you're dealing with you are not willing to let go of because you enjoy it too much. And that's the truth. God wants to set you free because you're tired, you're weary, and His reckless love is running after you. And He wants to kick that door down and say, listen, you still belong to me. I got a plan for you, just like my plan I had for the people of Israel. And I spoke to them through the prophet Isaiah, and today He speaks to you by the Holy Spirit through these words. Listen, when God speaks, shouldn't we listen? When God speaks, shouldn't we listen? But we're so like Israel, we're so stubborn, and we find ourselves in a jam, we find ourselves in difficult times, and we're trapped. And even though the Israelites believed that God was the Lord, they called, and even, look at verse 8, look at what verse 8 says in 48. You have neither heard nor understood from of old, your ear has not been opened. Well do I know how treacherous you are, you were called a rebel from birth. I mean, these, they're called stubborn by God earlier on. Then they're called those who are deaf and they won't listen. They have a closed ear. But God sums it all up in verse 8 and says, you are just rebels from the beginning. I know who you are, but I still have a plan for you. Notice a change in tone. 
And the tone that is found in verse 9. In verse 9, it says this, For my own name's sake, I delay my wrath. That is so encouraging for me. That is so comforting for me. That for God's own name's sake, He is withholding His wrath because He's holy and just and is allowed to unleash His wrath. But He's not going to do it. And He says He's going to hold that back in the second part of 9. He says, for the sake of my praise, I hold it back from you. Why? Because He made a covenant. When God says something, He will never be defamed by lying and being unfaithful to His word. And so if you're His, you're His till the end. And even if you're stubborn and stiff-necked, you've got a steel rod on your neck and you won't turn your neck to God and listen to Him, and you're going to the cliff, God still has a plan for you. And it's not going to stop and it's not going to go away because you belong to Him. And He wants you to turn and humble yourself. Oh man, don't be stiff-necked. Don't be so stubborn. God chose, He called, and He covenanted with his people just like you and he will keep his word because he can't lie and he can't be unfaithful to what he said about you and calling you and choosing you and then from verse 12 on to all the way to the end god promises deliverance in the midst of all this for the israelites from babylonian captivity and it was and listen their captivity was squarely on them because of their refusal to listen and obey They didn't trust, they worshipped other gods, they wouldn't listen, and they were just rebellious. This is what the Lord says in verse 17 again. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way that you should go. The New American Standard says, I read the NIV, the 1984 version, But New American Standard says, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way that you should go, that you should profit, that you would have the best, that you would have the abundant life. Remember Jesus said that I have come to give life and to give it which way? More abundantly. That you have the best possible things that God has for you. And no, don't dream up your, you know, Mercedes SUV or whatever you want. I mean, that's stuff. It's not that. It's in your soul and your heart that you are so whole and complete and the joy and the peace of God are exuding out of your life. It permeates you so much that it's gushing out and it becomes a well for others to drink from through as God, too, as God uses you. Oh, that we would walk, that we would believe God for who He says that He says. Listen, this verse is a powerful reminder as we start the school year, and as you start this fall, and as we go on, it's good for any time. And it's a reminder and an encouragement that is naturally broken up into three parts. You already heard them. Or I would call them declarations about God's relationship to us. First, God says, I am the Lord your God. I feel like, as I read that, I don't need to add anything to that. Because God is making something, and He said this over and over again, a statement that He is emphatically stating, and strongly saying, and repeats it over and again to His people. I am. Start with those two words. Are you ever in a 
bind? Are you, do you ever feel stuck in, in, or captive and entrapped by something or struggling with something? Just start with those words that God said, I am. I am your Lord and God. I am your. I am your. I am. God is. Nothing changes. Nothing will ever change that. He always will be. He always is. He always was. And He will be in the future no matter what you do and where you go. He's still going to be the Lord, your God, the Lord, the covenant-keeping God, the almighty, the self-existing God who always was, always will be, and can do anything for your good and His glory. Do you hear the power in that statement? I am the Lord, your God. Have you taken, excuse the expression, but have you taken possession of that statement? Have you taken possession of it? Is it yours? Can you own it every day? Not just declare it. Because earlier in chapter 48, God's people, in the midst of their rebellion, they were making claims how they knew God. They even invoked His name and His presence. They invoked who they were and all that they have and all the rituals and all the, 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 the formulas that God gave that He should be glorified. And yet God says, you never trusted me. Oh, that's a hard issue. Forget the mind. Forget the, your, your, the, the... Again, get rid of the mind for a second. It's about the spirit, man. It's about your heart, your, who you really are, your actual being right here. God says and wants you to know, do you really possess Him as your Lord? He already has you. Do you possess that statement as your own? He's the all-powerful, all-knowing. He's present everywhere. He's the creator God. And He's yours. You belong to Him. In verse 12, He says, they are the ones whom He called. And He's their creator. And He repeats that many times in Isaiah. He created them and He called them. Do you own that statement that God, you possess Him as your own. You know, God created everything we need before God even created the first man. He did. And then th there are more than enough supplies for everything that we need. They don't even need... Listen, you think about it. We have everything we need. And, it's, it's in, and especially before sin came into the world, everything was in the best and perfect condition for human life. And God created men and humanity as the best among His creation, the Bible says, the crown of His creation. And then He was unique from His creation because He created man according to His image. According to His image, we are created. And we've preached on that and spoken about that. I won't spend on what, time on what that means uh, in detail. But man, again, was given that authority to rule over creation. And then something happened. Sin comes into the world. And now, now this, this man, this me and you, humanity that was created by God, we need help because we transgressed, we rebelled against God. And from that moment on, God's plan kicks in and God starts to, to work out His plan as Redeemer, not just Creator. He's your Creator God and He's your Redeemer God. And we know how He did that. He did that through His Son, Jesus Christ, who is God Himself as well. He's part of the Trinity, the Godhead. But He came, God had a plan. And God is our Savior, our Redeemer God, as Isaiah reminded His people in this verse. Oh, God's amazing redemptive act. We sang about that today. How great is that love of God. He saved you. Stacy prayed it out. We thank God that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Man, when you think about, you know how I mean, those words are so awesome. How we, and you can, you can argue about semantics and, the, oh, the reckless love of God. And some of you get offended for some reason. Do you realize what that means? I mean, it's almost like God just doesn't even, almost, un, if I could just take liberty. He almost, unthink, without thought, just wastes his love on me. That's how great his love is. That's how it just pours out of him. And he, it's just who he is. He can't help it. And so it's an amazing thing that God is pouring out his love, especially to you, who's his chosen ones and the ones he's called, his people. Oh, what a great redeemer. What a great creator. I am the Lord your God. I'm your creator. I'm your redeemer. And I'm with you. And there's power in that. Hold on to that as you go and you get ready for that exam. <laughs> As you get on the bus for the, for the first time this school year, maybe, maybe you're, you're, you're going to go into a new group in your, in, your, in your school and you're freaking out about who might be there and you're nervous. Hold on to that because God says, I am the Lord, your God. I am your Lord and your God. I'm your Redeemer. I'm your Creator. I'm with you. Secondly, look at the second part. He is a God who is not only your Lord and God, but He is a God who teaches you to prosper. It's that second phrase in that verse. In other words, he teaches you what is best for you, what will, will lead to the best results in your life and the greatest benefit that you can possibly have in your life. Oh, but only if you would listen. Oh, if you would just listen. If you would just listen. And if you look in your Bible, God says these words in verse 18. If only you had paid attention to my commands your peace would have been like a river. Your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Uh, But you wouldn't. If only you had paid attention. You've got to pay attention. You've got to heed. God is the one who teaches us and wants to teach us. There's nothing more frustrating than when when, when, when you're a teacher or you're teaching somebody and they don't listen to you and they do the complete opposite thing, isn't there? Isn't it? That is, fr- I'm, not a, I'm not an educator or a teacher in the classroom, but that's frustrating. And we go through that with our children, and I put my parents through that too, I'm sure, many times. Well, I know I did. But, but it's frustrating. And how do you think God feels? And, and God still patiently and compassionately and lovingly keeps calling out and calling out and saying, listen, I'm telling you, I'm going to rescue you, but, but turn to me and, and don't, don't, don't like ignore me. Listen to me. Listen to my instruction. His instruction is always for your good, that you might know that peace and wholeness in your soul. Will you listen? Is my question. Again, will you listen? Don't be like God's people who were exiled to Babylon as a result of their unwillingness to listen and to learn. Psalm 32, verse 8 to 9 says this, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. This is nothing new. I could give you like 150 verses from the Old Testament where God is saying this. And many times in Deuteronomy, after they got into the promised land, right after they get there, God keeps telling them, listen to what I tell you, obey what I do, heed my words. You've got to do what it is. Otherwise, there's, there's benefits and there's curses. There's bad things, good things. If you listen, it's good. If you don't listen, it's it tough. I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you, even when you got the steel rod in your neck, he's still watching over you. Do not take take heed to this. 
God says, do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by a bit and brittle, or they will not come to you. They are so stubborn, and maybe even sometimes I've been stupid, but you, they're so stubborn, they just won't. Even if you call their name, they won't listen. God says, don't be that way. Don't be like that. John Piper said, the way not to be a mule is to humble ourselves to come to God in prayer, to confess our sins, and to accept as needy little farmyard chicks, as opposed to the other animals like the horse and the mule, the direction of God into the barn of His protection and provision. Just humble yourself. You know, we are not willing to listen. I have this this story I'll share with you that I I was thinking about, and I I started laughing to myself. When I finished my first year of Bible college here in Barrington, I went back home, I used to go home for the summers, and my uncle Peter and my father, we went fishing on Lake Erie. And we went out just outside of Cleveland, went to the break wall. And it's a, there's a lot of growth on it, but these, it's about maybe eight foot tall, I would say. And it's these steel, like, I don't know what they call those, those retaining things. Like they, when they do construction, but they're all joined together and they hold the wall back. And, and it, like, you know, thousands of feet of it in front of Lake Erie. And so we were going to go fishing out there. And so we went out in that summer and... We're going, and there's a lot of growth. And a lot of the growth, the shrubbery and like these, these puffy, I don't know what they were, but they were, growing over, they were growing over the wall and hanging down. So we were going, and of course we're trying to find a place to fish and try to cast so you can get the best, you know, get as close as you can, get the best cast, and you know, whatever. And my father and my uncle Peter kept saying, Bobby, just be careful, don't get, don't, don't get too close to the edge. Don't get too close to the edge. Don't get too close to the edge. We kept walking. I kept getting closer. And I had my tackle box, and I had my fishing pole in this hand. And I was walking, and I'm walking along. And we're going out by where it gets around. And I'm walking, and I walk on the edge. And all of a sudden, before I knew it, I'm standing in water up to my waist. I dropped eight feet. And I'm standing there with my tackle box and fishing pole in my hands. And my father and my Uncle Peter are cracking up like no one's business. I didn't listen. I thought I knew it. I thought I'm going to get the best spot before they get there. I'm a, I didn't heed their warning. And they've said it probably 15 times during our 15-minute walk to where, our, where we were going to fish. And there I am standing in the water, and I'm looking up behind me, and, it's like, and they had to pull me out. They had to pull me out. But see, that's what happens with our spiritual journey when we treat God that way too. God is instructing us. He's teaching us. He's telling us, don't do that. And He's given us His Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16, 13, Jesus said that when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will even teach you. He will will speak only what He hears. And of course, that was from Jesus Himself. He will not add anything. He will keep reinforcing and reminding and encouraging and pushing on. He's guiding you and teaching you. And He does those things. And we thank God that God sent His Holy Spirit after Jesus ascended to be at the right hand of the Father. That Jesus sent Him and He lives with us and He's by us. And so He is a God who teaches you to benefit. You know, when you do things your way, as you all know, and a lot of you would nod your heads, sometimes it doesn't work out that well. Oh man, we take our wisdom, we take our, and we think we're all that. But he's a God who teaches you to profit. And, and, and that, that, that scripture about the Holy Spirit in John 16 leads to the third phrase. The third thing about our relationship with God is that he is a God who guides us in the way that we should go. He doesn't just teach us, but then he guides us. You know, sometimes 
There's something in early childhood development, and I did this a lot with Preston and Cohen. It's called manual guidance. You manually guide a child. They go a certain way, and then you have to grab their arm. I didn't say rip it out. I said you grab their arm, and you say no, and you push this way, and you take them that way. Do you know God does that with us too sometimes? And sometimes we don't like that. It's not the most comfortable thing, but it's for our good, our protection, and to spare us destruction and what's coming our way. God manually guides us sometimes, but usually he guides us through, what, his word, amen? We have the word, that's how we got to stay in the word. So if you're starting school this year, make sure you start off your day by reading the word of God. I don't even, you know what, I'm serious. Take five minutes even, because it's busy. Take five minutes, focus your thought, read the scripture, get it in your mind, get it in your heart, and the Holy Spirit will have something to use to guide you. He will teach you, and he will guide you in that moment. Guidance happens while you are walking. Instruction and teaching can happen too. But teaching, when we think of it, you're taking it all in, you're listening, the idea of listening. But then guidance happens while you're going. You've got to guide something and turn it in the direction it ought to go while it's already moving. And so when we're moving through our day, remember that he says, I'm the Lord who guides you in the way that you should go. Not how you want to go necessarily. Oh, it might be. Who knows if it lines up with his will. But he's going to guide you in the way you should go. God, this is part of who God is. God was sure to lead and guide his people throughout all of history. And the question is, will we continually say this? But God, I don't want to go there. It doesn't feel good, God. I get beat up for that. But God, I don't want to stand up for your truth. It's too narrow in a broadly sin-tolerant and anything-goes world. Stand strong. Stand up. Keep going. He's going to lead you and direct you and guide you because you've been instructed and because you take Him as your own, as your Lord and your God. It's up to you. It's up to you to listen. It's up to you to follow and to, to take his guide. When he speaks to you and says, don't go there, you, don't go there. Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Straight. That's a whole sermon. We'll have a sermon on that too, how, why it's important that they're straight. But... We love those verses, but don't forget verse 7 and 8. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Oh, and that's loaded too in the Hebrew expression there. With the, help, with the, with the, with the healing to your body and nourishment to your bones and what that means. Oh man, you are so healthy and whole when you obey God. It doesn't matter if your body's falling apart. You will be healthy and whole. I know, that doesn't compute because we, 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 we physically, but man, we are going to be whole. God is so good. Listen to Psalm 25.9 as we come to a close here. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. He guides who? The stiff-necked? He tries, but they won't be guided. He tries to tell them, but they won't listen. But it says here in Psalm 25 that he guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way, not their way. God doesn't want us to walk in our own way that leads to destruction. Instead, he provides us the best way in order to make life more fulfilling and blessed when we have him with us and all that he offers. Praise God. 
It's important that we spend time listening to him so that he would teach us and guide us. So don't neglect that, students. Don't neglect that, moms and dads and everyone who's in the school system or even wherever you are. Don't neglect that. The fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom. Proverbs 15, 33. And humility comes before honor. The fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom. In every decision we make, we have to consult the Lord for wisdom for us to not commit mistakes and not to commit sin, which we will surely regret later on in our lives. God wants to spare us that. I read one more scripture from Psalm. Psalm 119.35 Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Oh, but I got to read that chapter, and I don't understand it, and I'm tired, and I can't focus. Man, the writer here says, direct me in the path of your commands, your word. Your words give me the path. They, they, they consult me. They guide me. They direct me. For there I find delight. Where's your delight? Where's your joy? Do you even have it? Or are you constantly running around thinking you're going to get it? And you're still groping for it. See, God and his commands serve as our life compass. Point us the right way all the time, every time. For some of you this morning, this kind of relationship with God and knowing this kind of God might seem impossible. Because you've been captive, you've been stuck, you're in a rut, and you've been so obstinate, you just don't listen to God, and you don't want to be guided, and, and you're, you can say all kinds of things about God, but you haven't submitted to His Lordship, and He's not your Redeemer and your Lord. Listen, I want to tell you something. You've gotten into a mess because you've been stubborn, you've been sinful, you've been prideful, you've been, you list all those things that brought you into a hole and into a tight spot. But by God's grace and by the working of His Holy Spirit in your life, it's going to happen. In fact, for some of you, it's already happening. Even right now, there's something happening for some of you. And you're going to get lifted out of that, not because you're doing it, but because God's doing it. And you'll start to take as your own possession that statement that God is your Lord and God. That He is the one who will teach you to go in the best way. That He will be the one that guides you on the best paths, on the right paths. Humble yourself. Call out to Him. And you'll be amazed at how successful you will be. No, not by the standards of what people dictate and set, but by God's standard. And that standard is that you'll be living an abundant life because Christ lives in you and you are living by Christ's ways. I close with Isaiah 28, 17, one last time. I love the scripture. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way that you should go. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you, Heavenly Father, and we thank you for your words through the prophet Isaiah to your people, Israel. But to us, 
as your church today who are being taught and guided by your Holy Spirit as we look into your word and the Spirit reveals to us, God, I pray that we would grow in our knowledge of you, that we would grow in our submission to you, that Lord, we would grow in our success because of our submission to you, and that we will see fruit that glorifies you and not ourselves or our feelings or our emotions or any of that. But God, it would glorify you because we are obedient to you. We're humble. Father, I pray today that your peace would fill our hearts. Father, I pray for those this morning who have been captive to sin all their lives and they've never been set free. I pray today that they would heed the truth that the gospel message that Jesus Christ came to die for sinners and he rose again to justify us and make us right with God and that he is at the right hand of the Father as our advocate, our counselor, and he's interceding for us right now. Lord, I pray for salvation to come to hearts today. And I pray for those who are your people that are just have been so stubborn. Holy Spirit, soften their hearts and may they humble themselves and realize they're missing out on all that you have to offer and all who you are. Lord, we give you the glory and the praise and I pray that you protect all of our students, all of our faculty, staff, all our transportation personnel. Lord Jesus, all our maintenance personnel. God, in our school system, in our schools, in the colleges, and in our district and throughout the state and country. God, I pray you protect our children, Lord God. Cover their minds, God. I pray to be filled with truth, your word first and foremost. God, I pray that we would do our best as parents with your help to instruct them in your ways and not the world's ways. Oh, Lord God, help us. Maybe that's part of the problem too, Lord God, but help us, Lord, to get rid of the world in our homes, in our minds, in our philosophy, in our thinking that is so juxtaposed to your character, Lord God. So, Father, help us, Lord, to be, Lord, the difference makers for our children, our students, and I pray again your protection and your provision for all that is necessary, and I pray that you would guide them as they walk the halls, as they sit in the classroom, guide their comments, Lord Jesus, and guide their conversations, and guard their attitudes, that they may reflect your holiness, your righteousness, and all that you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Cling to these truths about your relationship with God. Amen?